Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. On that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contribution for the priests. While this was taking place, I was in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king. And after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Elishab had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chambers. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chambers. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and I set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithes of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasures over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Pediah of the Levites, and as the assistant Hanan, the son of Zerchor, son of Metaniah, for they were cons considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute for to their brethren. Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading winepress on the Sabbath, and bringing heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs and all kinds of lords which they had brought, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day when they sold food. Tyrannians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and I said to them, What is this evil that you think that you're doing profane the Sabbath day? Do not our fathers act in did not our fathers act in this way, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? 
Now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. As soon as it began to grow dark in the gates of Judah before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gate so that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Then the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. But I warned them and said to them, Why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do it again, I'll lay hands on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come out and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, O oh my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. In those days also, I saw the Levites who had married women of Ashdod, Amnon, and Moab, and half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cast them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of our God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their sons, their do the daughters to your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, see an account of such women? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. And he was beloved by God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, foreign women made him, even him, to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashab, the high priest, was a son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite. Therefore, I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleansed them from everything foreign and I established the duties of the priests and the Levites, each in his place. And I appointed for the wood offering at appointed times and for the fast fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you this morning for this man, Nehemiah. Thank you for, Lord, the series that you've helped us to go through all these weeks. Thank you for every single thing you've taught us. Lord, we saw Nehemiah in the early days as a cup bearer in Persia. Lord, and when he heard of what was the situation in Jerusalem, he moved with burden and with concern for that city. Lord, when this man availed himself even to be used by you, you placed your spirit on him. And when you sent him there, you sent him even to Jerusalem as a builder. We saw this man building the walls of the city. In the face of opposition, you were with him. Lord, this man built this nation. He built the walls. He rose up and became a governor even in Jerusalem. Lord, even after all these works, he went back remembering where you took him from. Father God, this morning we come again corporately and individually, Lord, 
I pray whatever capacities where we are in whatever sphere we are, we want to make ourselves available unto you like Neymar. I pray that, Lord, you will fill us with your spirit. Give us a burden, Lord, giving for our cities and for our nations. Give us a burden for your kingdom, Lord. Give us a burden for your work. Just like this man, I ask this morning, Lord, that we can do it without your help. Therefore, may your spirit come on us. As a family, may your spirit come on us again. We welcome you here, dear Lord. By the power of your spirit, Jesus, reveal the glory that you shared with the Father, even before the foundations of the earth. Thank you this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So you welcome once again, and we've been looking at building the city, and today we're concluding our series on the subject, Building the City. If you've been with us all these weeks and then months, you will realize that we've been dealing with a man called Neymar. And we've been looking at this man and the work he did in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now that chapter 13 of this series, it's interesting that the book ends in a manner I was wondering, is this the beginning? I kept asking myself, is this the beginning or what? Because it ends in a manner that I find very interesting. So Neymar's work of rebuilding the physical walls of the city had been completed. But the question we need to ask ourselves today is that were there things that needed to be rebuilt? In the personal lives of the people, in the church, in the congregation, were there things that needed to be rebuilt? Neymar had left the city. He went back to Persia. And in Persia, Neymar returned back. But it was interesting that when Neymar left these people, they had all become very sloppy. They've gone back on every promise, every vow, in the earlier chapters, everything they had said before, they've gone back on it. They were no longer watchful. They were no longer praying. They were no longer watching. And it is so interesting that when Nehemiah realized this, he came back to town and this man was angry. I've never seen a man like this. So today we want to look at Nehemiah. And as we look at the final reforms of Nehemiah, I believe this is a core and it's also a warning to us, City Hill. I believe it's a call. Why am I saying so? Because there is a danger where we can think that we have arrived and we've got it all. There is always that danger. When you think I've built a city, I've got my house, I've got everything in place, I've got my car, I've got my family, I've got everything I want. I've got my children, I've got what I've been praying for. What is there to worry about? You stop being watchful. You stop praying. You stop waiting on God. You go back on your first love like we heard from Paul Simpson last week. There is always that danger. So as this man brings his work to a conclusion, he came back and realized there is something else that needs to be rebuilt. That is beyond physical walls. It's now time to rebuild lives. So I want to look at some of the things that Nehemiah had to deal with in his final reforms in rebuilding the city. I do believe that we have a core, church, our call is to obey and to be ruthless in the front of sin. Our call is to obey God as our Lord. This morning I was at the Biblical Foundation course class. If you sign up for that course, I encourage you to keep going. I was there and they were talking about lordship and obedience. Brilliant. Challenging, provoking. A lot of testimonies. Our call is to be obey Him as our Lord. 
And that means that sometimes you got to be ruthless. When sin knocks at your door, you don't treat it like a family member. No. You don't give it a chair, a sofa, and try to sit with it and have fun. You deny it lodging. You hold it at the throat. You deprive it of air. You don't allow sin to breathe sometimes. If it means being that ruthless, we got to be that ruthless. And I think that was the call that Nehemiah brought unto these friends in this final work that he came to do. So quickly, we want to look at some of the reforms that Nehemiah had to bring back unto Jerusalem in this work of building the city. Because he realized, my work is incomplete if these things aren't built work. The first thing I want to talk about is a mixed multitude. What was Nehemiah dealing with here in the name of the mixed multitude? In the church, by the laws that were given to the Jews, there were people that were supposed not to be allowed to be part of them. Now this is what he said, the Ammonites and then the Moabites were now living with these groups and with these friends. Who were these guys? Most of us are familiar with these guys, the Moabites and then the Ammonites. These were descendants, children that were born from Lot, the daughters, and then the descendants that came out of it because out of Sodom, you realize some of the things that city life could have on people. So they had an incest with their dad and out of it came two nations, the Moabites and then the, and then the Ammonites. And these children became staunch enemies of the Jews. They were enemies. And by the laws that were given right unto the 10th generation, none of these friends or these people were allowed to be part of the church or part of the congregation of the Jews. So we might be asking ourselves, was that not prejudice? I do believe that God had a way to help these friends to protect them. Why? Because they were easily led astray. They were led astray to worship other gods, led astray to make other powers their gods. So God warned them and he had a way to help these friends to walk carefully so that they remember their God. But when we went forward, we keep asking ourselves, what do we see about the Moabites? What do we see about the Ammonites? We remember the story of this woman called Ruth. We have Ruth in our midst. We have Ruth here. We remember this story. Ruth 1, 16, she told Naomi, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you go, I will go. Who was she? She was a Moabite. But we found that in this law, these friends were not allowed to be in the church. What are we talking about, church? What we are saying here is that the church is open for all. It's open for all. However, we listen to what God says and his instruction every single time about what he calls the church and his family. So we saw this woman Ruth who was accepted. She got married to Boaz and she became what? The great grandmother, a grandmother of David and then an ancestress of who? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Even though she was a Moabite, she was accepted into this nation of Israel and she became the great ancestress of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What Jesus did on the cross means that no physical blemish, your culture, your background, where you come from, does not prevent you from being part of the church. 
No matter what your background, your culture, wherever you come from, no matter what it says, it does not limit you from participating in the blessings of faith that is in Christ Jesus. But what we need to ask ourselves here is that what was God telling these friends? What was the warning? The warning was about wise relationships. The warning was about godly relationships. The warning was about influence. He was warning them to be careful. The relationships that we enter in. The influences, the people who dictate the pace of things even in our life and even in the church. Are they the unsaved who want to come and run the church with their mind? Sometimes you have the danger of the mixed multitude, people who will not submit to Jesus. They want to dictate how the church will go. But that isn't what God's word says. It's a call for us to be wise. In the face of all these things, we are called even to be alert. And may I ask you, church, that the people we have in our own life, in our relationships, in the people that we have around us, are they people who end up influencing us for God? Do they push us for God? Or what they push you towards is questionable. These are more mismultitude we need to be careful of. We need to ask ourselves that what does the word of God say when we look at people who influence decisions that are made in our journey walking with God. Paul's warning to the church in Ephesians 6, he says we should pray always with all kinds of prayer and with supplication and we should be watchful and we should be praying. Watchful and we should be praying. When the church loses watching and loses praying, we allow all forms of influence. We can easily allow it. So I think Nehemiah was warning these friends. So that wasn't the only thing Nehemiah had to deal with. The next thing we saw happening, Nehemiah had to deal with an issue called compromise in the church. He had to deal with something very serious here. What was it? We see an Ammonite, Tobah, was now lodging in the Jewish he was lodging in the Jewish temple. If it is today, I would say they had probably given him a jacuzzi with a suit, with a shower, with a bathtub in the temple. Who were these guys? This is Tobah. I remember most of you, if you were following this series, you know these guys, Sambala Tobah. These were enemies that opposed the work. They resisted every form of the work. They mocked the Jews. They laughed at them. Nehemiah was out of town, and interestingly, you find that in the chamber of the church, or in the congregation, in the temple, Tobah has been given a chamber, a suit. I don't know how many bedrooms, by the way. So he was lodging there. And it, it is interesting to understand that one of Eliashib's relatives, his grandson, actually was married to Zambala's daughter. So look at what was happening now. Every vow they had made, these friends had gone back on their vows. They were no longer following it. And Nehemiah became very furious. He became very angry. He was wondering what has gone wrong here. <laughs> Someone will say, if the guy didn't have a place to lay his head, what was wrong? John Maxwell says that it rises and it will fall with leadership. 
Let me say something. Has God committed anything into your hands here in City Hill? Are you in charge of a group in City Hill? Maybe you feel like I'm not in charge of anything. But has God placed you here and you look after something? Maybe you watch over kids. Maybe your role is to take care of something in this city that God has specifically put you there. May I ask you, are you watching? In what form are you careful that the enemy wouldn't enter? In any manner, in any shape, are we watching? Are you careful? Are you looking? Are you praying? Or have you allowed the enemy to enter in and to now come and have a lodging? May I ask the question, are we alert? Are we watching? This book ends with Neymar waking up the people. I think they went to sleep, so he woke them up. That you got to watch. You got to be watching. Something was going on wrong here. He says that in what form or in what shape is the enemy trying to enter? Are we watching? We got to be watching, church. In what form and in what shape? It's a call for us even to awake. <laughs> awake. And I, it, it is my prayer that we wouldn't allow this spirit of a leadership even to dictate our mindsets. It is my prayer that wherever God places us, church, we will be alert and know that we have been called and given a charge. And the clarion call is that we will be awake, church. And we will understand the times like the sons of Issachar. Why? Because you have the enemy who will always want to attack what we are doing. He will always want to find a way to come in. But Jesus says that I am building my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The enemy will knock. He will knock. He will knock. But remember, we are not alone. But we have a call also to be awake. Don't allow the enemy to lodge and then come in. No. Let's guard. Wherever God has placed you in this church, guard it. If it is in your city group, guard it. Don't allow the enemy lodging in there. Whatever department God puts you, maybe you are, you are in charge of something in this city. Are you guarding it? Or you've gone to sleep and you allow the enemy to take free ride and have his own way. May we not allow Eliashib's character to dictate what we are doing here. And we have a call to wake up. We have a call to wake up. I do believe in some few things here, church. That the church is a place that God has called us. Joe was saying that it's a family. I believe it's a family. Why? Because when we come together like this, we share. We encourage. We challenge each other. If you have a weakness, there's a brother who will support you. A sister who will support you. Don't try to go alone. That is what the church is all about. It's a family. We share each other's weaknesses. It is not a place for hiding things like Eliashib was doing. No, we don't cover up things there. The church is a place of prayer. We pray. In our praying, we're declaring our dependence on God. If you can do it on your own, then you don't need to pray. So when we meet Friday mornings in the room there and praying, it is a call that God, we need you to come down. Because what we are building, we can build it well without God. So may I encourage you to join us in our prayer finance Friday mornings. 9.30 starts. Can you come and let's all pray? Let's all pray. Because the church is a place of prayer. The church is also a place of power. I believe in it. Because the power of God working and changing and transforming lives. 
That is a church. Where we see people who have been on all kinds of things in this world, they meet God, the power of God hits them. And they say, this is who I am. And there are several testimonies of that. The church is a place of praise, a place of celebration, a place of edification. I believe in it. Someone says it is a place, it is like a hospital. I believe in it. Someone says it is an army. Another one says it is like a rigorous school. I believe in it. So we edify ourselves, we challenge, and we motivate ourselves. The next thing Nehemiah had to deal with was restoring finances in the temple. Something had gone wrong there. Money had gone all over the place. And Nehemiah had to restore finances, the temple offerings. What was happening? The Levites, the singers who worked in the temple, had left the work of ministry and the world, and they had gone back into farming because there was no more support for them. So they had gone to work to look for support for themselves. And when Nehemiah realized this, he came back and he was like, no, you were breaking God's words. You are not following what I have left with you. Because the work of the Levites was to be ministering on the word and prayer. So if they go back and then they are now going to work on the farm to support themselves and their families, Nehemiah realized that something was wrong here. The offerings were not coming anymore. The tithes weren't coming anymore. And I know people who question the church. The church is always asking for money. Why? I know people who always ask that. Why do we want to ask money, money, money? When I talk about money, I was just sharing that with Charity, my wife, and I was like, I'm unapologetic about that when I talk about money and God's church. I'm unapologetic because I do look back and I remember where God took me from. I look back and I remember where I was and God found me. And when I look back, I do say that God has been so, so good. So when he demands money from me, I have no excuse. I know where God brought me from. Time wouldn't permit to be able to talk the story and bring everything out. But at the right time, we may have to present that story. So church, let me ask this question this morning. Since we got saved, has your money been saved also? That's challenging, you know. When I got baptized, has this purse, did you also get baptized? Or maybe when I went into the water, this one (laughs) floats. (laughs) Or maybe, I don't know, but it's a question we need to ask ourselves. I think I remember it is Margaret Lear, the wife, the wife of Sam Houston. Probably this is a story most of us know already. But I feel like I need to maybe bring it back to you. She says, several years I prayed for my husband to be saved. Several years. She was a devout Baptist woman. She said, I prayed and prayed for my husband to be saved. And he said that when my husband got saved, there were four pastors involved in his baptism. Why? Because this was the first and the third president of the Republic of Texas. And you might be asking yourself that, what is so special about this guy? This guy was a general, a soldier, and a politician. So, 
in his baptism, before he would go into the water, he realized that if I'm going to be baptized because I've given my life to Christ and because Jesus can make me whole, save me, clean me from all that I used to be, he told the pastors, guess what? My money also needs to be baptized. I think we're familiar with it. But he told the pastors that my money also needs to be baptized. So what happened after that? The record says that Sam Houston paid half of the salaries of the pastors. He paid single-handedly. He paid it all. And not only that, he contributed to the burden of the Beijing Christian University in Tezos. He paid and funded the burden of that university. Because he says, my money has been baptized. My money has been saved. My bank account, my purse, my bag, my wallet, whatever, whatever your money is being kept. However, he says, my money has been baptized. And it's a challenge we must ask ourselves. When I got saved, has my money been saved? So this money that come in is to support God's work. If God's work suffer, if we cannot do anything in this church because there is no money, then it's a question of where is our priorities? Has our money experienced Jesus? Now let me move quick because we'll be going for lunch. So let me quickly. <laughs> what does the Neymar have to deal with? I call it restoring God's time. What was wrong here? The Sabbath, which is the seventh day, is actually, <laughs> I would say, a rule that was given to the Jews. The seventh day of the week and its rules belong to the Jews. The Old Testament laws governing it. The Jewish Sabbath, the do's and don'ts, touch and don't touch and all that. I don't think we want to go into the Sabbatarian rules of all that and that. We don't want to go into that today because that is not for the Christian. However, let's listen to what Nehemiah had to do. Because the Sabbath day, which was God's time that had to be redeemed, was profaned. These friends didn't honor and worship and gave it to God anymore. They used that day for their own things. God was no more factored. Like we sang this morning, Jesus, you are the center of it all. Jesus, you are my number one. Atimisha was leading our song. If Jesus is the number one, is he the center? Does he have your time? It's a question we need to ask. Sometimes the busyness of city life could mean that we don't even have time anymore. Even to sit down for God to speak to us, we don't have time. In the church, people do not have time. Let me ask you, on a Friday morning, will you opt to go to church than to sit and watch a movie as sports? Maybe wash your car. Or maybe go for some other thing that you consider I may have to do. This way, I feel not bad on their own, but let me tell you, these were needless burdens that could have been taken care of at any other time. But God's time was not redeemed anymore. And these friends had turned the Sabbath, God's time, into a day for their own business. Nehemiah had to shut the doors of Jerusalem. He kicked out. He put soldiers on the door. This was an angry man. Church, we need to ask ourselves that would I choose going to church over sitting to watch a movie? 
washing my car or doing some household chores. What you end up doing eventually, I believe, is that you kill your job. You kill your witness and you kill your spiritual power when Christ is in the center of it all. You kill your jaw, you kill your witness, you kill your spiritual power. Why? Because he's no more the center of it all. You see, will he take that first place? Will he take that first place? Since we'll be going for lunch and I want to quickly run through this and finish it. Let me just bring you again to this one. That Nehemiah had to deal with, finally. He had to deal with a very difficult one. And that one was restoring marriages. I wouldn't go too much into this because I believe the last time Harold spoke to us a lot about Solomon and marriage and every other thing about marriage. But I believe that it was a wake-up call. The book ends and he wakes the people up. you got to be up. You are sleeping, wake up. What was Neymar dealing with? He said the people had begun to intermarry with other nations and other religions. And it wasn't only mixing their blood together. They were missing languages and beliefs. They were married to all the ungodly. What are we talking about here? Someone will say, they'll be bilingual at the end of the day. In those days, I saw Jews that had married wives of Ashdod, of Ammon, and of Moab. Their children spoke half the speech of Ashdod and could not speak the Jewish language. Verse 23 and 24. Someone may say, what is happening here? (laughs) I believe we are not talking about marrying from other ethnics. What Jesus did is that he broke that barrier. And what he did is that he opened us up. He freed us. So we are not talking about ban or regulations that prevent the church marrying. And I see in the Bible, I've not seen any rule from marrying from different ethnic groups, from tribes, from nations, color, tribe. I've never seen, I've not seen any law that bans marriage to different people in this new covenant of grace in Christ Jesus, no matter what the world says. I've never seen anything in the Bible. However, Paul gave a warning. What was Paul's warning? Paul's warning was in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He says, do not be unequally yoked. He was talking of the Christian and then the unchristian. The believer and then the unbeliever. The concept of the unequal yoke for the Jew, it is like putting together a donkey and then an ass or putting together what they will call a bull and then a donkey and trying to yoke these two animals and let them work. Remember that these animals for the Jew, one was considered clean, the other one was unclean. They had different characters, different strengths as well. And they were not allowed to yoke these two animals together. That was the concept. Yoke these animals for them to move together. It was not going to work. Why? Because they have different characters. The call or the warning is for us to ask ourselves the question. This relationship that I'm about to enter in, would this still lead me to serve God? Would I still continue to walk and fear God? These are questions we need to ask ourselves. We need to ask ourselves that this, this, this choice or decision I'm making now, would it lead me? to still remain a Christian and still serve my God? Will I raise a generation that will walk and serve God? 
And would this relationship lead me to still being a Christian and my children serving God? But as I round it up, this is Naaman. These were the challenges he had to bring. I don't think that this was a guilt thing. It was a challenge he brought even to his own people. We see Naaman finally, as I conclude, that he confronted the problems that he faced and he never ran away. He faced the problems. He faced many problems, but he never ran away. He shows us what it means to be courageous as a lion. Believe in that. In the face of sin and opposition, and also to be humble as a lamb. I see two things. Courage, and then tempered with humility in one man. He confronted sin, but he was still very humble. The world thinks that if you you got to be that, he was ruthless, but he was still a humble man. And I also see in this book, a man of prayer. Always on his knees in prayer. Finally, in verse 31, remember me, oh my God, for good. It is easy. Men could forget his works. But he said, God, remember me. God will remember you as well. This man started this work with prayer. He knew the king of kings before calling on the kings of this earth. That is what prayer means. He knew how to call on this God, knock on him. And this God gave him success. He fought hard for the right things to be done in Jerusalem. But this man kept his heart soft. He kept his heart forgiven before God. And look at him as a man of conviction. What a character, what a man, and what a devotion. What an example for us all to follow. May I conclude and ask you, this man carries so much burden. A burden in his heart for God and for his city. Do you have a burden for what burdens God? I see a man that carried in him so much he believed he cannot do but to pray. How is your prayer life? Humbly, let me ask myself and ask you as well. I see a man of sacrifice, Nehemiah. We can't do this work without sacrifice. We'll be going into a time where the band will be coming up. But I want us to pray, City Hill, I want us to pray. I want us to just rise on our faith even as we end this our series today. I don't want it to be just the end of a book and we go back doing anything. But it should be the end and the beginning. <laughs> it should be the beginning of something else. It is like we are being launched into something else. Why? Because it is not a parking lot where we park and forget. But it is a launch part where we stand and say, God, launch me. God, launch me. I'm ready for you. I see a man that was available for God to use. Are you available for God to use you? I see a man that carries so much burden when he saw what was wrong. Do you have a burden for God's kingdom? Do you have a burden for the unsaved? Is your heart pumping to see people come to Jesus? I see a man that was full of sacrifice to get it done. What do you have to sacrifice? What comfort do you need to give up for God to be exalted? Can we rise on our feet? So the band will be leading us. I don't know what God might be talking to you about. If you feel like someone to pray with you, you want to respond to anything, the leaders will be here to pray with you. And I believe whatever God is speaking to you about, I believe that we need to go out there and move on as the neighbors of our city. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.